cliffcentral.com. Let's turn our attention to really important things because although that is important, there are actually bigger <laughs> things going on in the world. So it is World Antimicrobial Awareness Week from the 18th till the 24th of November, which is right now. And we've got Dr. Fatima Patel, who's a doctor and a medical manager in the medical department at Asino. It's good to have you here. And both of you, uh, well, let me introduce also Dr. James McDonald, who's a specialist microbiologist currently based at Lancet in Brenthurst. He's an expert on antimicrobials and especially involved in, in guiding clinicians in hospital practice regarding the appropriate use of antibiotics for hospitalized patients. So both of you are very welcome. It's nice to have you here. Um, and thanks for coming. Yeah, yeah let me and switch on your Julianne's microphones. And uh, recall of the... Uh Golden, yeah. uh, the old age home, and what's yes. happening there. Oh, yes. And part of the discussion Dr. McDonald's going to have is about safe sex practices. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow, go. really? There really, that's part of it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, very nice to have you both here. So let's just talk about how serious this is, because I don't think a lot of people in South Africa who haven't been in hospital completely understand the danger posed by these, uh, these microbes and the diseases that are clearly a major, major threat everyone's well-being. A hospital is a dangerous place, right, Dr. McDonald? No, definitely. And I just want to say thank you to for the platform to raise sure. awareness to this very sure. important issue. So just from some background, so the World Antimicrobial Awareness Week um, was started by the WHO in 2015, if I remember correctly. Mm. And initially it started with antibiotics, mm -hmm. as everyone generally knows, used to treat bacteria, but it's now extended to include antifungals, antivirals, and antiparasitic agents, hence sure. antimicrobial awareness, because unfortunately right. we are losing the battle on all fronts hmm. in some instances. That's quite scary. Okay, so tell me about antimicrobial resistance, these, these superbugs. So antimicrobial resistance is basically when anti microbe that's causing infection doesn't respond anymore to the treatment that we currently have or use. And in a way, it is a natural phenomenon because most of our antimicrobials are actually based on natural substances that other well, organisms make. Right. Yeah. Right. It's made penicillin. from a mold and a lot of the antibiotics were actually made by other bacteria. So in a way, it's a natural way for these organisms to survive in their niche environments. You know, one organism kills them off and they develop a way to survive that so they can also share and thrive in that niche. Unfortunately, with the advent of um, mass use of antimicrobial agents, the organisms are doing what they do best and they survive. Yeah, they, they, they evolve yeah. to, yeah. to yeah. survive. And adaptive. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay, so how big is the problem worldwide? So... There are data globally available. There is a lot of surveillance programs ongoing. Um, the WHO, for example, has what they call the GLASS surveillance program. Mm -hmm. The problem is that um, in a lot of countries, especially lower middle, uh, or middle income countries, we don't always have the figures or the numbers because if we're not testing the antimicrobial agents against the, the vast array of pathogens, we actually don't know how big the problem is. But we do know it, it's a global problem. And it, unfortunately, the country's hardest hit is the sub-Saharan African countries and Southeast Asian countries. Um, that seems to be where the problem is a lot. Um, unfortunately, if you grow up in poverty, you already have poor sanitation. Mm. Um, the problem is going to escalate from there, unfortunately. Sure. Okay, so how did we... How do we get to the stage? Is it because people didn't complete their course of antibiotics yeah. like, we, yeah. like we learn? I mean, some, some of those obviously are part of the problem. But we can't develop medicines fast enough. That is part of the problem, definitely. So it's a combination of things. Once we have this huge um, evolutionary or pressure that we're exerting because we're using so much antimicrobials in the environment, 
Um, we're using it not only in humans. I mean, obviously the hospitals is a big problem, but we need to see it as a larger, what they call a one health approach. Mm. So everyone who's involved or a role player in antimicrobials, and that includes the general public, that includes us as the medical fraternity, veterinarians, um, production animal use, they use a lot of antimicrobials. I mean, these get eventually released into the environment and we have that pressure building up. So that's one part of the problem. The next problem that we have is unfortunately the global boom in population across the world. Yeah. Combine that with international travel. <coughs> so they uh, spread faster, mm. quicker. So a good case and example that we have here currently in South Africa is an enzyme called the NDM, the uh, New Delhi Metallobetalactamase. It was named after New Delhi because that's where it was picked up when a patient went there for treatment and went back home. So we are seeing a lot of that currently in South Africa as well. And it has to do with the global travel that we see. Yeah. Patients get colonized with these organisms. I mean, you go on to your next, right? You might not be ill, but the organism is inside your gut as well. You're carrying it around with you. Mm. So wherever you're going, that organism is going as well. All you need is then to get admitted into a hospital, for example, um, into a foreign country, and yeah. then that organism takes niche inside that hospital as well. And also the resistance genes, too. they can pass them on to they other organisms They as well. spread it as well. So you'll have a, a pool, let's say, for example, this is maybe a silly example, but you have a basin inside a hospital where everyone washes their hands, they pour mm -hmm. their coffee or their soft drinks in there that they don't use. That's a nice niche environment for organisms to start replicating. So now you introduce one organism that's very resistant. It has a lot of resistance enzymes and mechanisms attached to it. It's inside that basin and it's spreading that, what's called the mobile ele element. Most of the time it's a little plasmid. It's a circular string of DNA basically that has all these genes for resistance on it. Yeah. And it's able to spread that onto the next organism. And then to the next organism. So organisms that essentially weren't resistant from the start can get or acquire all these resistance mechanisms. You know, Dr. Patel, we were talking when, when you were in our office the other day about the story of, of this one guy who started suggesting that people should wash their hands and that that was the source of, and this is in what, the late 1800s, early 1900s, mm. somewhere around there. And, and how that started getting people conscientized to the fact that actually, and they called him lunatic. I mean, they put him in a, in a mental asylum eventually yeah. <laughs> because he was saying, wash your hands, which now we take for granted, right? It could be like someone saying to you now, you must wash your ears, otherwise you're going to spread germs. We'd be like, are you insane? You, yeah, crazy. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's where it all started. And then, of course, we had Alexander Fleming and we had penicillin and we had all of this stuff. But it feels to me like... This is something very, very serious because we don't actually have the means to get ahead of this curve. And if you catch one of these diseases, what, you got a 50-50 chance? Depends on the organism, yeah. depends on your state as well. Mm, um, sure. So I think it's a lot of um, factors that need to take into consideration. But unfortunately, um, the patients who suffer the most from antimicrobial resistance are the ones who have it on the back foot already. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about the premature neonates and ICUs. Um, already have next to nothing immune system. They yeah, don't immunocompromised have, people. And um, oncology patients, for example, unfortunately. And then patients who... Immunocompromised patients. Yeah, were in an accident and ended up in the ICU for months mm. on end. Mm. And they're oh. going to, to rehab and to step downs. And unfortunately, <coughs> all those organisms are there. So, I mean, you yeah. might not start off with a problem that is essentially driven or based on antimicrobial resistance, but eventually down the line, it might become your problem. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I look at my mum who had a stroke and she was in uh, neuro ICU for almost a year. And the yeah. reason, one of the biggest mm. reasons why she couldn't get out was because she kept on contracting superbugs. Mm. 
um, and, you know, various infections due to the equipment that was being used. And it was just unavoidable. Everyone had the same yeah. issue. And then developing resistance to the antibiotics to the point where they had to bring in antibiotics from overseas that hadn't been used here yet. The most effective yeah. medicine is preventive medicine, actually. Mm, no, definitely. Mm. And, you know, I think that's hence the importance of this week as a whole, because unfortunately, antimicrobial resistance at one point or another, you might be as fit and healthy as you are now. Down the line, mm. it's going to become your problem. It's going to become your children's problem. And I think that's the whole aim is just to spread that awareness um, so that everyone knows that everyone has a role to play. Okay, so what, what can we do? Yeah. What, what can you do to prevent and, and, and to create you know, a, a safer environment with less contamination in general? What can we do? So I think that's a, a very important question because um, a lot of what we've been doing, me as a clinical microbiologist, a lot of what we've been doing has been geared towards other healthcare professionals in the hospital. And mm. I think the public at, the, at large has been left out in, in, into the education, the yeah. awareness of it. So I think an important factor, as was mentioned earlier, is the prevention of infections in the first place. I mean, we can try, to try and live as healthy as we can mm. um, so that we don't need to end up going to hospital. And it's just not about things like washing your hands. It's a very important thing, definitely. But other factors like preparing your food properly. Mm. You know, don't get that um, bacterial st stomach bug that go to your general practitioner, pops a few pills to you and sends you on your merry way. I mean, let's try and prevent the use of antimicrobials in the first place. Mm. Um, safe sexual practices, definitely. I mean, <laughs> right, we, especially in those especially old age homes. Old age <laughs> just now. Because, I mean, what, wow, chicka, wow, wow. what do we use to treat sexually acquired infections? We use antimicrobials. Absolutely. And we're not using, we, unfortunately, those organisms are becoming very resistant as well, like gonococcus. Um, I mean, we. Oh, those gonococcus. <laughs> and before you know it, your cock is gone. <laughs> <laughs> because we use very broad spectrum antimicrobials <laughs> to treat them, which are actually meant to be treating other infections. With but yeah. okay, so so where did we go wrong here? Because for thousands of years, you know, people have obviously been infected and have caught things and died. But we were able to, at least for the last hundred or two hundred years, kind of get in front of this thing. What's happened? So, I mean, sanitation improved. That we improved on, and that yeah, that should infections. be that, but that should yeah. be helping us to even get further ahead. Instead. It seems like in the hospitals, which are, you would think, some of the cleaner, more sterile places, there's extra care taken in theater, for example, to make sure that there is less chance that you get infections mm. there. But it turns out hospitals are like Petri dishes for this stuff. It goes back to what you were saying earlier, Gareth. People mm. are living longer. We're living longer. Yeah. They're older and they are more vulnerable. They're yeah. the ones who are sick in ICUs, in hospitals. Yeah. Dr. McGranel will, will attest to that. He sees that in the hospitals so, as well. I mean, because... Hospitals, unfortunately, have that propensity to have these very resistant organisms because of all the antimicrobials that are being used. Yeah. You're causing, you've created such a selective pressure mm. that the ones who have the most resistant mechanisms are the ones who are going to survive. And unfortunately, mm. we just haven't kept up in terms of antimicrobial development. Mm. And, yeah. and there's various reasons for that, unfortunately, as well. Uh, I think a big thing is just the costs involved. Um, with developing and testing and getting an antimicrobial mm -hmm. approved only for it, for organisms to become resistant to it a year later after it's released. Jeez. So there's... Start all over again. <laughs> exactly. yeah. yeah, so we just haven't been able to keep up. So I think from the preventative point of view, I mean, if we can mm. limit the amount of antimicrobials used. I mean, it's... But for the general public, that's not something necessarily that they decide on. I mean, you go to a, mm. your general practitioner, I mean, you come with your presenting complaints and I mean... 
most of the time, antimicrobial gets the written I up think my, my dad's fridge is largely to blame as well. <laughs> Just your dad's fridge. Since, since my mom doesn't have control of the kitchen anymore, he's one of those people who saves everything. Uh-oh. And then with load shedding. Yeah, but that's not going to create he, super bugs. He, well, <laughs> I, I wouldn't you be surprised. Hope. You should hope. He, he also um, believes that any mold grown on cheese is fine. <laughs> so who are the susceptible patient groups here? Unfortunately, all of us at the end of the day mm. are, are going to be affected by it. But unfortunately, as again, as we said earlier, it's those neonates that have no other option. They were born prematurely. They're going to spend their time in hospital for a long, yeah. long time before they're well enough to go home. Mm. It's your oncology patients mm. who get immunosuppressive therapy in any case as well. Yeah. They're very prone to getting these types of infections because also they spend a long time in hospital. It's your ICU patients yeah. um, who can't take care of themselves. Your post-surgical patients, yeah, all the post-surgical patients yeah. as well. I mean, it's a tragedy if, if you go in for an elective procedure mm -hmm. only to be taken down by a resistant organism in the hospital afterwards. That's it. Mm. I mean, I, I used to say as well, you know, um, for students and things, you know, when you give lectures and things, you can aspire to be the best surgeon in the world. Mm. And you can be the best in the world, skill-wise. But at the end of the day, the great equalizer is going to be the antimicrobial-resistant uh, organisms. And it affects all spheres of medicine as well. There's very few disciplines where antibiotics isn't involved in patient care at one time or another. And it's so, it's so weird how we just lean on it. We lean on antibiotics. We, we trust that they'll, they'll save us for everything. I mean, I went in for a, a hip replacement uh, th three months ago. And, you know, before you decide to do the surgery again an elective surgery uh, the surgeon will say you know infection is a risk and you put that at the bottom of your priorities all you're thinking about is the surgery and the benefits you you know that if you get an infection something will save you but sometimes it can't you know you've got an antibiotics on hand yeah people yeah. underestimate that not all antibiotics work against all the bugs exactly i was going to say doctor like i think in terms of preventing and like preventative medicine, education is always the key. Mm -hmm. People need to know why they need an antimicrobial or an antibiotic. People need to mm -hmm. know that and understand what a broad spectrum antibiotic is and why so, they should So what is that? Let's, just, let's define those things because most of us are not in the medical field at all. So what's a broad spectrum antibiotic as opposed to a more specialized? No, that's a very good one. question, definitely. No. So when you talk about broad spectrum antimicrobial, so we, obviously we get different bacteria causing infections, and there's yeah. thousands of them. Um, we can basically divide them on how they look under a microscope with a certain stain, and we call that the gram stain. So we have gram-positive organisms and we have gram-negative organisms. So in terms of antimicrobials, we have antimicrobials that are able to cover gram-positives and gram-negatives. Mm -hmm. And we have antibiotics that are able to only cover gram-positives in some cases, or only gram-negatives. But then it becomes more complicated as resistance mechanism starts piling up. Now you have an antimicrobial that's able to cover both of those organisms and an extended spectrum of organisms, of the gram-negatives, mm. for example. Um, so that's why it's broad spectrum. So you right. try and cover as much of the antibiotics. So you actually don't know what's going on there, but you're going to try and so hit it with this thing that… In a lot of cases, that's how antimicrobials are started in the hospital. You have a patient who has become terribly sick. You're suspecting there's an infection involved. We don't know what organism it is yet. So you use broad spectrum coverage because you want to cover as much as possible until you can get an answer. And that's usually where a clinical microbiologist in the lab comes in. Mm -hmm. So samples from the patient will be sent and we'll try and grow the organism causing the infection. We'll test it against all the antimicrobials that we, we can test for and then we advise according to that. And then based on those results, we would like the clinicians to de-escalate, meaning that 
Now that we know this is the organism and it's sensitive to these antimicrobials, you're yeah. using something that's well fit for purpose, but too broad. Yeah. Mm. So rather use something else that's mm. a bit more narrower. And Dr. Mm. Fatima, what, what about like doctors? Do they have a, a role here because they are over-prescribing? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Most patients go to the GP with a sniffle and they immediately expect an antibiotic. Mm. Right. So G I think GPs are responsible for educating the public and their patients as well. That it's not an antibiotic is not always required if you just have a simple sniffle or you don't have any factors that predispose you to a more severe infection. Mm. For example, if you're not an older patient or a diabetic patient or a patient with a cardiac condition. Yeah, a young, healthy, twenty-year-old, and you've got a sniffle and you want you say to the doctor, "I want an antibiotic." I think mm. the GPs are the, the responsibility lies with them to educate their patients. Yeah. yeah, they they know their patients and the ones that come in and will demand an antibiotic. Yes, and won't feel um, satisfied unless they yes. get that. And I mean, it can be something as simple as having some paracetamol and bed rest. Yes, that's that's exactly what they mm. need. Sometimes a sniffle is just a, as a result of your immune system having broken down, and you, your body's tired. You just need a bit of rest. Uh, something to just yeah. deal with the symptoms. Mm. You don't need. What about antibiotic. environmental stuff? Because when we're pumping all of these antimicrobial drugs into the environment, into the water supply, I mean, you mentioned, you know, like the basin, the drain, all of that stuff. It's also emboldening, in inverted commas, all of these other microbial agents to develop in ways that they wouldn't have had to before. No, no definitely. Right? So it's, it's, it's in the system. That's where the One Health approach comes in as well, because obviously a lot of the antimicrobials we as humans consume, that ends up in the environment as well, because we excrete mm. it in our urine or it goes into the stool, into the sewage systems. Right. And that's where all the bacteria are. But uh, antimicrobials are also being used in veterinary care and mm. they're being used in animal production as well, um, mm. as growth promoters, because you don't want to add this big animal, you're going to slaughter it in the day, you don't want it to get an infection and then die off prematurely. Yeah. Um, so antimicrobials are added to the food and so forth, and these get excreted into the environment, and most of them end up into the river systems as well as effluent from the farms and so forth. Oh, so, we really have very little control of what's going on in the so world. So Dave says, this is so much better than having celebrities on the show. A pity so many will find the life-saving stuff as being boring. I don't think this is boring at all. I think this is fascinating. It's and, scary. And, and, and it saddens me that so, so many people in the medical field understand this thing, but People outside of it have no idea. I think a lot, looking at the literature now, especially during this week, obviously everyone is talking about um, antimicrobial resistance. Mm. So a large portion of you know, what we're trying to improve on is actually to deliver it to a level that the general public can appreciate and understand and, well, as quoted, boring. Mm. <laughs> to make it's it not boring. boring mm. yeah. I think it's fascinating. Carl says, my mom has been in hospital for over two months with an infection that the an antibiotics just cannot kill. The, they check her CRP levels every day, cannot get CRP below 50. It's been horrible, he says. Well, he says it's been fun. But he does say his mom is fat and old and the bug in her just won't go away. Now that she's at a rehab center, she's trying to learn to walk again. I mean, that's Jeez. tough. What do you do? Mm -hmm. What do you do? I mean, eventually the doctors mm -hmm. go, well, we've tried all of this stuff. You run out of stuff. So how, how hard are the pharmaceutical companies working to try and develop new drugs? At the moment, there's such a challenge to develop these new drugs. Mm. I don't think they've found candidates that are suitable um, as antimicrobials, antibiotics. Remember, when they're looking for candidates at the chemical level, mm. they got identified in natural substances or find it, they go through a range of screening for these things. I don't think they've, they've found en enough of these mm. to satisfy the criteria to 
mm. promoted to the next stages in clinical development. So th at that point, you've already got a limitation. And then going through the clinical process, it can fail anywhere along the clinical process in any phase of the studies. So a lot of them fail before they even get to the final phase three, phase four part of the clinical development. Yeah. I mean, we're trying to kill things. That's actually what we're talking about, right? We're trying to kill. It's a war. Yeah, it's a war. Mm. This is like a proper full-on war. This is, this is like you've got to bomb the things into submission. Yes. Then one or two of them creep back out and they survive because now they're battle-hardened. They come back for more. Uh, are there any chemicals that can just kill anything that's living that you can use in a hospital. I mean, we talk about bleach, for example. Well, those machines, that, those little robots that come in and zap the room. Yeah. So that's yeah. A what big, can we do? So that's a big component of what we, the preventative arm in trying to resolve this AMR crisis is that um, we need obviously clean environments. So we use our disinfectants um, in the environment itself to try and lower the burden of these drug-resistant organisms. I don't think you'll completely get rid of them. Um, at all. It, hmm. uh, a big focus now on new research has been the drains, for example. Yeah. We can't really say how much of a role they play in spreading infections. There's been a few studies that have shown or linked them positively. You know, we've isolated this organism from these patients and we found it in the Because, I mean, you just trap. put some uh, sodium hydroxide down there. It yes. kills everything, Yes, Donald right? Trump. <laughs> <laughs> just inject it. No, sodium hydroxide in the drain will clear it out. So the problem is the biofilm that they form. Mm -hmm. So they form, they secrete these extracellular proteins and meshes, and they actually stick to the to the, the surface of that drain pipe, and they form this thick slimy layer. Mm -hmm. So whatever you're throwing down there, mm -hmm. it's not actually going to reach and kill them off as well. And that's exactly the same problem that mm -hmm. we have infections in humans, is they form these biofilm as well. So now you have an antibiotic that number one can't reach the organism to kill it off with. Um, and secondly, as they lower their metabolic rates as well. And a lot of the antimicrobials that we use are mm. actually designed or meant to work in an actively dividing organism. So, High and that's where. Yeah, wow. so, they, so they become. They know they've outsmarted us. It's a game of chess and they're always three, four moves and ahead. And there's so many millions of more of them than there are of us. Yes. The biofilm is a, is a big problem because you see that a lot with prosthetics. Yeah, prosthetic, prosthetic joint infections. I had that when I had my collarbone. Plate. What happened to your collarbone? It got, uh, I got thrown off a horse, it broke, they put a plate, it got infected, there was massive biofilm, they had yeah. to take the plates out and then the bone broke all over again. And, uh. No, that's the only way to get rid of it, unfortunately, is to remove the prosthesis. And that's not a feasible thing in someone who's no. a hip replacement or a joint replacement. Yes, Leanne, you better look out. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's the thing that I was I was being discharged. That's and, what you're most And a guy was, was um, admitted, readmitted. He had an infection. They had to take everything out and start again. Mm. I mean, you think about it. I've done it a few times where you open up your sink drain. Mm. Yeah, I know, it's, <laughs> I know it's horrible. I know it's horrible. But you think it looks so clean from the outside and you put down that hydroxide, whatever, bleach stuff and you think it's working. There's that massive film around that pipe that the unless you, you scrape YouTube, away. The actual YouTube. The actual YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> unless it's scraped away, you're not going to get anywhere. With your bleach or whatever. looking. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> God, this is disgusting. I don't want to go and look for that. I, yeah. I'd rather not. Okay. So here's a comment from, sorry, I'll let you go now, Bakabanti. You've actually got some more specialized questions for this. Chris says, I'm 34 and I've never taken antibiotics and I've never been sick. Is that possible? I think he's lying. Uh, I don't think the part about never being sick. Uh, yeah, it's possible on. if you've never taken an antibiotic, but uh, uh, as a child, does he know when does he, he know? took anything yeah. as a child, as a, as a baby? Because, of course, there's no absolute here, right? I mean, yeah. there's, there's always going to be a need. I've taken antibiotics in my life, but I don't 
gone looking for them every time I'm sick. <laughs> so there's a happy medium. Yeah. It has and, to be. And that's where I think patient education, again, as general public as well, is that health-seeking behavior. I mean, we have to know that for a viral infection, like a sniffle it's or it's a runny nose, antibiotics don't work. So don't go to your GP expecting antimicrobials and being unhappy if he doesn't write it up or he or she doesn't write it up and then you go on to the next GP. Mm. Start doctor shopping till you find what you're looking for, I mean. And that's where the GP's role becomes really critical in, in educating patients uh, and not pandering to every request for an antibiotic. Mm. Yeah, because a lot of the time doctors, especially in America, the patient goes to the doctor and says, I want this drug because they advertise in America. They yeah. don't do it here. Yeah, it's a problem, especially in places where you don't require a prescription for antibiotics mm. and they're getting it without a prescription yeah. in some countries. Really? So they're on demand. Patients are just getting antibiotics on demand. We don't have that here, though. We don't have that here, no. You have well, to be prescribed there the There are some unscrupulous pharmacists who will dispense for people yeah. who they don't know. Uh, really? Or, or mostly people who I hope they know, but um, it does happen, unscrupulous unfortunately. Unscrupulous pharmacists. <laughs> we need to know about these people. What did you want to ask, Bhagavanchan? I, I was going to say, like, but also, like, it's not just, just, just blame the doctor prescribing recklessly. Also, finish your antibiotics. It's the easiest thing you can do. You know, we, we're starting to go into a new phase as well because a lot of what we know and how antibiotics were used were based on old digmas, mm. um, and we're starting to learn better. Um, so there's a lot of research actually going into using shorter courses yeah. of antimicrobials. And we're finding that, you know, infections that we used to treat for 14 days, mm -hmm. a bloodstream infection, for mm -hmm. example, can now be safely treated with five to seven days. Really? Um, uh, some, there are some exceptions to the rules that we actually find we need to use them longer. But in general, there is this big movement of using shorter courses of antimicrobials. And the, lo and the less duration of exposure to the antimicrobial, yeah. the better the chances of not because developing resistance. That's well. what drives resistance, mm. is these long, prolonged courses in a single patient, unfortunately. Okay. Then, doctor, to a South African context, like how does this apply to like XDR and MDR, like well, multi-drug resistant TB and so we've made some nice um, developments from there, and South Africa has been a global leader in this as well. Mm -hmm. We have new regimens that we're now being able to treat drug-resistant TB on, and they're oral antibiotics, so you don't have a patient needing to sit in the hospital with uh, a drip or getting it shot in the bum, for example, intramuscularly or so. And it's a shorter course than we traditionally have been used because we just have better agents to treat them with now. Wow. Okay. Well, listen, I've, I've learned an enormous amount. Leanne, you're lucky you got out alive after your hip yes. replacement. Well, That's listen, all I'm going to say. I've got to go back for the other ones now. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But you know, even there, they, they give you special gels to shower with for up to three days before and on the morning of fresh pajamas, fresh sheets at, in your own home. You're not allowed to, you know, wear anything twice. So there's a lot of, um, prevention that goes on as well when it comes to elective surgery. Sure. And another area besides hand washing, I think another area in the home is uh, food preparation. Yeah. Mm. Where a lot of our antimicrobials develop all sorts well, of... Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so uh, with, as the seasons change, we'll pick up that we're seeing a lot of more of the gastrointestinal organisms, Salmonella, Shigellas. Um, Staph. Oh, Staph can definitely cause um, some horrible food poisoning as well. Um, so just to prepare and store your food safely um, so that you don't end up needing antimicrobials yeah. down the line because that's also one of the, next to a runny nose, it's a runny tummy that yeah. sends people to the GP. There's a question that sends social media into a frenzy every time and that's should you wash your raw chicken before cooking it or not? Because the one argument is 
you, you need to rid it of certain bacteria. That's why you need to wash it. The other is if you're washing it, you're not placing more bacteria in your sink and you on your hands yeah. and then on the cloth. Yeah. Do you not just pop that stuff in the pot? <laughs> you know, it's it's all about cooking. So chicken, obviously, as everyone knows, that's the one thing that needs to be cooked properly. It doesn't mm. matter where you buy your chicken from, from the high retail store to yep. or onto the street next to the side of the road. Chickens carry pathogens. So it needs to be cooked properly to a proper temperature to kill them off. I think what some people maybe make mistakes on is the cutting board in which you yeah. cut your chicken. Yes. Don't use that now for cutting your veggies afterwards mm. for your salad or something mm. like that. Or for your so potato salad. Don't, yeah. use the, don't use the same knives yeah. for cutting yeah. the chicken that so you that use for the potatoes So that's cross-contamination. I remember when I was a medical student, a mm. lecturer for one of our micro, uh, my, uh, microbiology lectures, he says, often it's these big functions where all the grannies get together and making all the things afterward and all too many hands mm. uh, touching the food and things. And that's why people often have staph infections after this and you get that uh, acute vomiting yeah. After after a wedding or a funeral, mm. where people yeah, have so that's it, a toxin that it produces that makes you ill. So afterwards. I think that's saying too many cooks spoil the broth. I think that's too it. many hands also <laughs> can uh, yeah. spoil the food. Yeah, there we go. So how do you clean that chopping board? Because now I'm thinking about my chopping board <laughs> at home. And is it plastic? Is it wood? Plastic. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. So just a good wipe down with some household bleach that's diluted. You know, just follow the manufacturer's recommendations with the strength of it. I mean, uh, that's one thing that I, my anti. Um, Bacteria and things won't necessarily develop resistance to. It's because it works in a completely different way. Yeah. It's not like an antibiotic. It's an inorganic chemical. And if you can, separate chopping boards for separate foods, like mm. meats and veggies and knives. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to go home and now completely sterilize okay. my entire <laughs> Your kitchen is fine. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, I'm so nervous now. <laughs> I promise you, these things drive me into like a state of panic. I don't like the idea of You'll uh, be fine. How often salmonella have you been, on the yeah, cutting board. Yeah. This is yeah, really upsetting to me. Sick. How often have you been sick from food? No. Exactly. Hardly ever. So you've got mm. nothing to worry about. Sure. I just think I have a stomach made of concrete. <laughs> <laughs> Something's going on there. All right. Well, I think this is all very, very useful information. And, and thank you both, uh, Dr. Fatima, Dr. McDonald. Thank you both for coming here to talk to us this morning. Um, I think that we, we probably... We have no idea of, of like the severity of this thing and we've got to try in our own little ways to keep these infections from spreading because, I mean, it's just, you don't want to end up in a hospital. If you could possibly help it, stay out of a hospital. Yes. And don't let the doctor just keep prescribing antibiotics to if you don't need them. Yeah. I think you know? preventative washing hands, good hygiene, good health care. Right. And don't take antibiotics unnecessarily. Don't be a filthy pig. <laughs> Am <laughs> I right? Dirty pig. Yeah, dirty pig. Dirty pig. Yeah, right. Thank, thank you very much. It's thank great you. to have you thank here. You so, thank you so there much. we go. There's a little bit of useful info for you on this Monday morning from Dr. James McDonald and Dr. Fatima Patel. Um, and uh, they can also, we'll, we'll put all the information up on cliffcentral.com. Have an awesome Monday, everybody, and make sure you clean everything around you all the time. <laughs> It'll make you all paranoid, but you have to be have to be uh, on top of these things. Thanks, everybody. See you on tomorrow morning's show, 6 o'clock.